Good morning, everyone. It's time to begin our worship services this morning. Another beautiful morning and pretty week behind us. It's good to be out this morning worshiping God. If you're visiting with us, we're certainly glad to have you as our guest. And I'd like to say we invite you back this evening at 6 o'clock, but uh, we're still not having Sunday evening services. But the, the elders have been uh, talking about it, and uh, we're going to wait probably two more weeks and then see how this uh, spring break went and see how things are going and then we're going to meet again, and, and uh, believe me, we want to get back to Sunday evening as uh, soon as we can when we feel like it, it, it's time, and, and uh, we certainly feel like it's getting close to being back, and uh, we know the congregation uh, is ready to get, go back to worship, too. We've had several people talk to us about it, so we're going to be meeting soon, and uh, hopefully we can come up with a, come up with a plan. So uh, if you're visiting with us, we're glad you're here, and it's good to see the Stitz family with us and, uh, and the triplets. And, and uh, I, I was asking about Scott, and they said Scott had to work. He wasn't here, and I thought, well, somebody has to work when you have triplets. You know, somebody has to pitch in. So we're certainly glad to have you all here with us this morning. And it's good to see Opal Galloway back with us. It's been about a year since Opal's been able to uh, come back with us because of COVID, and, and there may be someone else. I'd look around, but uh, I might have missed someone. So I want to remind everybody to uh, our ladies group, a reminder to our ladies at Rome that a twins baby shower is being planned for Saturday, April the 24th, and it's uh, from 1 to 3 p.m. in the multipurpose room for Heather and Andy. There are, they are registered at Targets and Amazon. There'll be more information in today's bulletin sheet. Remember in your prayers, Mary Alice Cooper, she remains in St. Mary's Hospital. But she's showing signs of improving, and that's good. And John Klein continues to recover at home with his uh, knee replacement. Wayne Stevens, Jerry's uh, brother and Hilda's uh, son, is having a knee replacement. Uh, he's having surgery this week, so we want to remember Wayne and keep Wayne in our prayers. Also, uh, Jerry told me that Sawyer and Hannah will be going back uh, Wednesday. They've been in this past week, and they'll be going back, so we want to keep them in our prayers as they travel back home. Leland Doc Ward, Jr., this is uh, Sherry Ward's brother-in-law's uh, boy. Sherry's a... Uh, Nephew, he is diagnosed with COVID and, and he's placed on a ventilator. And so we want to keep uh, Leland Doc Jr. and that family in our prayers. Also, let's continue to remember to uh, pray for Kristen Ward. She has her treatments and Rusty's having treat, treatments. And uh, Randy Ash, Hank Picklesheimer, and, and those who are battling cancer at this time. And, and uh, Glad that they're here, uh, that uh, those who are getting better, Jim Haney's uh, continuing to get good reports with his heart and stuff, and we're thankful for that. And uh, 
and just all the good news. We know that everything good comes from God. So as we begin our worship service this morning, bow with me as we go to God in prayer. Father, we do thank you for this beautiful morning. Thankful that we're able to together here and, and to worship you and study you, Father, study about you and your word and, and spirit and truth. And we pray that you'll be with us, Father, as, uh, as we serve you and help us to do the, uh, the very best that we can. Father, we uh, pray for this congregation. We pray, Lord, as, as we uh, try to, to open everything back up and as we get back to normal, Lord, that, you, that you'll bless us. Uh, Father, that, that you'll not just bless our congregation, but all of our area congregations. And, and Father, as we, uh, as we strive to, to get uh, the, the members to, to come back who are able to be back with us, uh, we pray that you will help us to, uh, to do that, Father, and, and unite together. Father, we know that, uh, that the devil uses any way that he can to work on someone, Lord, and, and and after people have messed uh, for a long time or whatever the situation may be, it's just, uh, it's just easier to continue to do that. But uh, we pray that you'll be with us as we fight against the devil and, 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 and try to uh, uh, edify the congregation here and, and in the area and, and, and all over the world, Father. We pray that you'll be with us and, and, and just bless your church. Father, be with Chris this morning as he brings us another lesson. We're thankful for him and his family. We're thankful for David and his family. And, Father, we do pray for those who are sick, those uh, who are hurting. We pray for uh, Doc Ward Jr., Father, that you'll bless him and be with those who are attending him and continue to be with Mary Alice and that family. And, and Father, for those who's uh, lost loved ones recently, we just uh, ask comfort on those families. We thank you so much for your son who was willing to come and die for us, Father. And we pray that you'll forgive us when we fall short of what you'd have us to do. Bless us. Bless this country. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let us all please stand. We'll sing hymn number 388. 388. Let every heart rejoice and sing. <clears throat> Let every heart rejoice and sing. Let all
Him this morning, number 399. Let the Lord be praised, O Zion. 399. <clears throat> After this hymn, Brother Chad Ward will have our scripture reading and prayer. Let the Lord be most gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we humbly come before you this morning. We praise you, Father, for, for all that you are, for, for what you mean to us, for what you have done in our lives. Father, we're so thankful for this beautiful Lord's Day morning that you have blessed us with. Father, for the, the recent rain, for the sunshine, the warm temperatures. Father, for the, 
the springtime in bloom. We're so thankful for all that we can see. And, and Father, we know that all of creation, Father, all that we can see is, is from you. Father, we ask your blessing upon our service this morning. We're, thank, we're thankful that we can come together and be with each other and, and study from your word. Father, we ask your blessing upon Chris. We're thankful for his time and, and wisdom and knowledge and, and Father, for, for the lesson that he'll bring to us this morning. We ask your blessing upon him and his family. Be with Dave, Father, and, and their family. We ask your blessing upon each of our elders. Be with Clinton and Jerry and Gary, that you will watch over them and bless them with with wisdom and with good health. Father, we ask your blessing upon those who are in need of of your healing hand. Father, we pray that you would be with Wayne and and John and Mary Alice and be with Sherry's nephew, Doc, that you will bless each of them, Father, and help them to, to recover and be with Kristen and Rusty and their upcoming treatments. Continue to watch over them and bless them, Father. Father, we're most thankful for the gift of your son, Jesus, for his dying on the cross, Father, so that through his shed of blood that we, we have a promise of eternal life. Father, forgive us when we sin and be with us throughout the rest of our day and our time together. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Our reading this morning will come from the Gospel of John, chapter 6. And we'll start with verse 66. John chapter 6, verse 66. As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. So Jesus said to the twelve, You do not want to go away also, do you? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I myself not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? Now he meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Let's please turn to hymn number 384. 384, Lead Me to Calvary. <clears throat> Sing the first, second, and last verse. King of my life, I found thee
We read in Acts 20 and 7 that the disciples gathered together on the first day of the week and broke bread and remembered the death of Jesus. This being the first day of the week, we too have gathered here this morning to worship our Lord and to remember that sacrifice which he did for each of us. On the same night that he was betrayed, he took two simple items and instituted the Lord's Supper the bread which represented his broken body which hung upon the cross and his blood that cleansed our sins that flowed from his body. I'd like to read from Colossians, Paul's letter to them, and help us just understand the superiority of Christ. Colossians 1, starting in 13. He was delivered... He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of his Son, of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Let's go to God in prayer. Our gracious and heavenly Father, we are so thankful for Jesus and the sacrifice that he made for each of us. Father, we ask that you bless this bread which represents his body as it hung up on the cross. 
Father, we wish that we take this in a manner which is pleasing to thy sight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, as we continue to remember Jesus and the sacrifice that he made for us, we ask that you bless this fruit of the vine, which represents his shed blood, which cleanses our sins. Father, we hope that we take it in a manner pleasing to you, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Separate and apart from the Lord's Supper, we're commanded to, to give a collection. There will be no collection when the Lord comes on that day. We're asked to lay by in store. There are two containers in the back of the auditorium here that you may put your contributions in as you leave. We are so blessed. We are a country that has so many things, so many opportunities. Let's go, God, in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this day and the opportunities that you provide each of us on a daily basis. Father, you provide many opportunities that we may support ourselves and our families, our neighbors. Too great to count, Father. Father, I ask that we have us that we have an open and cheerful and giving heart as we return a portion of this to you. Father, that it may be used to strengthen your church, to spread your word, and bring more to you. Father, we ask that you be with the deacons and the elders here in their work, that they may use this man, this, 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 these monies, to help build your church. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all please stand again. We'll sing hymn number 391. 391. Let me live close to thee. <clears throat> In my field, I will sickles reign through. In the heart, for the heart, I will my day, in my prayer, all the journey through. Let me live close to thee. Thank you. 
him this morning, number 389, 389, let him have his way with thee, this time Brother Chris. Good morning, go ahead and be turning in your Bibles to Mark chapter 9, that's where we're going to be spending our time this morning, Mark 9, when I was a kid, I grew up living in my grandmother's house with my mom and my brother, and my grandmother was an amazing lady. Um, so funny. I think I get my sense of humor from her. Uh, so for some of you, I might not like that too much, but <laughs> I think that's where I get it from. But uh, I always thought she was so funny. But one day, um, when I was a teenager, she was walking around the house, and I wasn't paying a whole lot of attention. I'd like to say I was doing homework or something, but I was probably watching TV. And so I wasn't really paying attention to what she was doing. And, uh, but she'd walk from the living room into the kitchen. She'd look around the table. She'd walk to the back of the house. And you'd hear her in the back, like in her room, kind of moving things around. And she looked around for probably 30 minutes. And I, I finally, I was walking back to the back of the house myself. And we passed. And I said, what are you doing? She said, I'm looking for my glasses. I said, the glasses that are on your head? Those ones? And she said, oh. <laughs> you know? Been looking for him for half an hour, and they were sitting right on her head. She had completely missed the obvious, right? I feel like a lot of us have probably done that. Today, you encounter an individual who has done just that. He is missing the obvious. Today, we're in Mark 9, <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> starting in verse 2, you get an experience via Mark uh, of an amazing event. We know it today as the transfiguration. This is when Jesus is reinstituted with his glory. It's unveiled. I guess it was always there as he was there in bodily form, uh, as he was here in bodily form, 100% man, but also 100% deity. He's 100% God. And so at the transfiguration, that glory that was once veiled is now unveiled, and everyone gets to see it. Well, at least the people that are there get to see it because not even all 12 of the disciples are there. In fact, he only brings three. His inner circle are the only ones who are privy 
to this incredible event. So Peter, James, and John are standing there on top of this mountain. Most people think it's probably Mount Hermon uh, if you're into the geography. It's a very high mountain is what he says here in Mark 2. But notice he says in verse 3 that Jesus' clothes became radiant, so intensely white, so that not even any launderer on earth could get them that white. This event, his, his unveiling his, of his glory, so changed him that it changed his clothes. Even his clothes were glowing. <coughs> Excuse me. My allergies are getting the best of me right now. The word he uses here for in Greek is his, his, he's glowing. There are rays of light shooting out of Jesus. But that's not all. Obviously, Elijah and Moses have come to commune with Jesus. And what are they talking about? Well, Mark doesn't tell us, but Luke does. In his account of the transfiguration, Luke tells us a little bit about what they were talking about. They were talking about Jesus' departure from this place. His crucifixion, his death, and his ascension is what they were, they were speaking about there that day. I don't know how long this event happens, but sometime during this event, Peter gets a little antsy. And he doesn't really know what to say, so he just splurts out something. Isn't that wonderful? When you don't know what to say, you just splurt out something. That's what Peter does here. It's not a great idea. And so he runs up to Jesus, Elijah, and Moses, and he says, Rabbi, it's good that we're here. Well, duh, Peter. <laughs> you know, duh, it's good that you're here. This is for your benefit. And you think it's good for you to be here? It's good for us to be here. We, we can build one tent, one tabernacle for you, one for Elijah, and one for Moses. What's the problem with that? He is missing the obvious, isn't he? The Son of God is standing, glowing, literally glowing in front of him. And Peter can't see it. He sees Elijah, Moses, and Jesus as equals. Even though the entire gospel of Mark so far up to this point has been all about who is Jesus. Well, he is special. He is God's son. He is God himself. Incarnate, come in human form to cleanse man from our sins. But Peter can't see it and neither can the rest of the world. But here you would think, With him literally glowing, you would think Peter could get it. But he can't. He can't see what's right in front of him. And so God's voice speaks from heaven. This this cloud overshadows the the mountain that they're on, on. And a voice speaks from this cloud. He says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. God could have said anything, right? He could have said, this is Jesus And anything else he wanted to say, right? He could have phrased this however he wanted to. Why does he say listen to them? Because they're not listening. They may be hearing. I think they're hearing all the parables. They're hearing all the teaching. They're they're physically present when all those things happen. They're just not listening. You guys ever been told that? My wife's a big fan of that, that phrase. You're hearing me, but you're not listening. The apostles aren't listening. They're not getting it. They've seen time and time again how special Jesus is. Literally a voice from heaven 
saying to listen to him. It's not going to be enough to make them listen to him. This is the turning point in Mark's gospel, though, and they will eventually get there. After his resurrection, everything will start to click. Everything will fall into place. And in fact, he tells them not to tell anybody else. Remember, not all 12 of the disciples are all on top of this mountain on this day. And so they're not even allowed to tell the other ones what they had heard. The other nine don't know about what happened on top of this mountain until after Jesus has already been resurrected via Jesus' orders to these three. So after the, after the, uh, the voice from heaven, God's voice from heaven speaks to the disciples. This is not for Jesus' benefit, right? His baptism, when the voice speaks from at his baptism, I think that may have been for Jesus' benefit. <coughs> but this is certainly for uh, the disciples' benefit. This is my son. I love him. Listen to him. He's saying some important things. You need to listen. Not just hear. Not just be physically present, but actually hear him. Listen. After the voice stops speaking, they look around and they don't see anybody else, which just accentuates God's point. Jesus, listen to him. He's right in front of you. Listen to him. How are you missing this obvious thing? He's even taken away a Moses. He's taken away Elijah now, and Jesus is standing there all by himself. Listen to him. Before we were too hard on Peter for missing the obvious, for not listening when it's so obvious, so blaringly obvious that he should have. Let's take a deep, hard look at our own lives. Let me tell you the rest of the story first. My grandmother passed away in 2010. I'd give a whole lot to have those 30 minutes back with her. She wasn't the only thing I missed. Something that was incredibly precious and important during those 30 minutes, was she? I had 30 minutes with her that I'll never get back. Something obvious and precious was standing right in front of me, too, and I didn't know it. We do the exact same thing, don't we? We come to his word. We come to the scripture. And we read it. Sometimes we even study it. But we don't always hear it. We're not always listening, are we? Sometimes we hear what we want to hear. Sometimes we read into the text what we wanted to say. Sometimes we're more gentle with ourselves and more harsh on others. We're missing what's obviously in front of us. An incredible gift. Just like Peter was missing Jesus, a lot of times we miss what's right in front of us too. We read into the text things that aren't there and we don't see the things that are. We don't see, we don't feel the Holy Spirit convicting us of our own sin, but maybe we hear him convicting our neighbor of theirs. We're more easy on ourselves than we are on other people. I want to encourage you to take this away from this event, the transfiguration. That can be one of our takeaways today. As you read through Scripture, listen to him. Don't just hear him. Listen to him. Submit to him. That's what Mark is all about throughout the rest of this gospel. From Mark 1.1 to Mark 16.16. 16, his call is for us to submit to him. Lay your life down at his feet. And allow him 
to do what he wants to with your life, whether you like it or not. You see, Jesus is saying some things that the disciples don't care very much for. That's why they're not hearing him, because they don't want to. Does that sound a little familiar too? We don't hear a lot of the things from Scripture that we don't want to. If I've got a pet sin, something that I, I want to hold it on to, when I come to Scripture and I read about it, what do I do with those stories? I gloss over those, don't I? I can do that pretty quickly. I don't pay special close attention to those, those things, do I? Jesus is saying some things that the apostles don't want to hear. The Son of Man must suffer. He must be rejected. He's got to die. He must die. But when they start thinking about Messiah, they're not there yet. Remember, they don't have the same concept of Messiah as you and I. When they hear Messiah, they think warrior king who will not die. Asterisk. (laughs) He will take over Jerusalem's throne. He will kick out the Romans. He will reinstitute the glory that, that Israel had under David and Solomon. Things will be good, but he will not die. That's what they hear when they say Messiah. And Jesus says that's not what Messiah means. He goes through the rest of Mark trying to redefine what the Messiah means for these people. And they just refuse to hear it. Even the disciples, even those who are closest to him, (coughs) just refuse to hear it. Because they don't want to. They don't have hearts that can hear. Let's let's pick up in verse 9. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. Let's stop right there for a second. What does rising from the dead mean? Well, another duh moment, right? Mark is the king of irony. Um, God allows Scripture, the men who write Scripture, to to convey some of their personality through here. And you kind of see Mark's on... Um, display here with this ironic statement. You'll get to see more of it in just a second. Um, so they were arguing, you know, questioning, what, what does he mean by rising from the dead? The Messiah, Messiah's not going to rise from the... Surely he's not talking about actual death. What, what, a, what could be a metaphorical meaning of rising from the dead? What do you think, Peter? What do you think, John? What could this metaphorically... He, he's obviously speaking figuratively here, right, guys? No. <laughs> he's speaking literally. In verse 11... They, they come back to this idea of Elijah and Moses, though. And they asked him, why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? I don't know if they learned anything from Peter's last encounter with Jesus and a question there. And when <clears throat> Peter confesses Jesus as the Christ and, uh, and then rebukes him for saying that he's got to die. But they're a little bit more subtle with this question. So they bring up Elijah. Why do the scribes say that Elijah's got to come first? Before the Messiah comes, Elijah's got to come, right? That's Bible. They're right. The scribes were incredible students of Scripture. They're not wrong. Elijah does have to come first. That's Malachi, the last part of Malachi. Malachi talks about how Elijah is going to come before the Messiah. And so Jesus says, yeah, they're right. Elijah does come first to restore all things and how it is written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt. And they're thinking, I knew the Elijah thing, but this... Son of man treated with contempt. I don't, I don't know so much about that. Verse 13 is interesting, though. He says, but I tell you that Elijah has come. Luke lets us in a little fact that he told that it was John the Baptist. So Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased. 
as it's written of them. So <coughs> Israel made Elijah suffer. They persecuted him. They killed him. Jesus says, same thing's going to happen to the Son of Man. Why can't you understand that? They don't want to hear. They don't have hearts that can hear just yet. They, don't, they just don't want to. All right. So they come down off the mountain after this little interlude, and they meet a man there. This man has a problem. He has a boy. I don't know how old the son is, but he's young, I would imagine, who has been demon-possessed since he was young. And this demon is, not that any demon is nice, but this one seems especially cruel. He throws him into the river. He throws him into water. He throws him into fires. Uh, he won't allow the boy to talk. Incredible life that this, that this boy has had to lead because of the demon possession. But when Jesus comes down off the mountain, he hears an argument going on at the base of the mountain. And he comes down and he says, what are you guys arguing about? Because the rest of the disciples are down there. And they're arguing with somebody. They're arguing with the crowd. They're arguing with the Pharisees and the scribes. And so he says, what are you guys arguing about? And the dad speaks up. He says, hey, I brought my son to you. I brought my son to the disciples, but they couldn't heal him. He was bringing him to Jesus, but Jesus was up on the mountain. And so the disciples were here as his envoys, as his ambassadors. They ought to be able to cast out the boy. In fact, they've just come and they've just come from a, a trip, a journey, where that's exactly what they did, right? They had cast out demons. They had healed people. They had preached with great success. So surely they can cast out this demon from this little boy, right? It's not how it hashes out in this instance. So, what are they arguing about? And it's, back in earlier in Mark, the uh, the Pharisees claim that Jesus is casting out demons by the power of Satan himself. And so, probably what they're arguing about is where does Jesus get this power? Why can't the disciples do it? Things like that. And so the dad speaks up. He tells Jesus what's going on. Jesus says, "Bring the boy to me." So the boy comes. The, the demon. Uh, throws him down again, he convulses him, he throws him into this fit. Jesus looks at the, at, the, at the disciples, and he has this really interesting phrase. Oh, faithless generation, why couldn't you heal this boy? Now, there are an awful lot of faithless people in this text, right? The dad comes to Jesus. He comes with a lot of faith. But when he gets there, the disciples can't cast out the demon. So when Jesus finally does see the boy, the dad says uh, in, uh, in verse 23, or in verse 22, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us. He uses the word for dynamite there. If you have the power, if you have the authority to be able to cast out this demon, will you please have compassion on us? Will you help us? Jesus, Jesus says, if you can, if I have the power, are you kidding? Like, <coughs> the Mount of Transfiguration was all about Jesus' authority. Does he have it? Absolutely. As evidenced by the voice from heaven speaking to him. This is my son. Listen to him. He has the authority. He has the power. 
obviously, right? And so Jesus says, if, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. And immediately the dad cries out, I believe, help my unbelief. So the apostles are not the only faithless ones here. There's another group also in the crowd, the scribes and the Pharisees, who are completely faithless. In fact, when the boy uh, is, when the demon's finally cast out of the boy, he falls down like he's dead. I don't know if the demon killed him. Uh, there's, a, there's something in the text here that we need to pay attention to in just a second. But I don't know if the boy actually uh, died or if he was just was left comatose so that the people thought he was dead. But the scribes and the Pharisees say, well, he's killed them. They're faithless too, aren't they? But when he looks at, when he says this, oh, faithless generation, how long are I going to have to be with you? He's talking to the disciples. They should have known. They should have seen. They should have had the faith. They should have known who had the authority. Now, it's interesting that he says here at the end, they come to him privately and they say, well, why couldn't we cast this demon out? And Jesus says, well, this kind, in verse 29, can only be driven out by any, can, cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. What's he mean by that, you think? This kind can't be driven out by anything but prayer. I think what he's saying is, you guys thought that the authority came from within you. The power came from within you to cast out this demon. It doesn't. You were relying on your own authority. The authority doesn't come from within you. The power doesn't come from within you. The power comes from God. You can access that power by prayer. And you need to access that power by prayer so that you stop relying on your own authority, which is what the scribes and the Pharisees and indeed all of Israel is doing all throughout Mark, relying on their own authority. They want what they want, right? Sound familiar? We want what we want. Well, <laughs> I want to say this phrase. We want what we want. They're in exactly the same position. So he says, you need to stop relying on your own authority and start relying on God's. Start relying on the Father's. Now, back up to verse 27. Jesus took the boy by the hand and he lifted him up. That's what my translation says. He took him by the hand and he lifted him up and he arose. But literally what he's saying there is, Jesus raised the boy and he was resurrected. And you can kind of look at this scene and see Jesus go, Huh? Disciples? You want to know what a resurrection means? That boy looks dead. He picks him up and he was resurrected. Huh? That's what a resurrection is going to look like. Because they were confused. They didn't know. They were questioning. What's he mean by resurrection? That's what it's going to look like. He's got to die. He must, must suffer. There's not an option. The Messiah must suffer. And they needed to get that through their heads. They needed to stop relying on their own authority, on what they thought was right, and start listening to Him. Maybe you're in the same boat this morning. You need to start listening to Him. Maybe you've tried salvation on your own. Maybe you found somebody who said, well, this is the way to be saved, but they didn't use Scripture. And now you're thinking, well, am I saved or am I not? We'll sit and we'll study scripture together. We'll, we'll show you what the Bible says to do to be saved. Part of that, the point at which we are saved, is being baptized, being immersed into his blood, having our sins washed away. Maybe you've already made that decision this morning. You just need the prayers of this congregation 
to be who God would have you to be. If you have any need this morning, why don't you come as we stand and sing. Close our service this morning. We'll sing hymn number 392. 392. Let the beauty of Jesus be seen. We'll sing the first and last verse. And after that, let us all your students.
Will you pray with me? Dear Lord, thank you for another beautiful day that you've given to us today. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to come together and worship you. And thank you for keeping us all here safe. Please be with the sick and the injured and help them to uh, come to their full health again. And please be with us as we uh, go from here today. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.